are so glad that you joined with us today. I, I'm so sorry that Christmas is weird this year, that worship is different this year, but it brings me great peace of mind to know that right now I am gathered around my church family. And I know that some of you may be watching in and you're not a part of the Iron City Church family. And I just want to let you know that we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're a part of us, and we would love and treasure the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better, um, even during this strange season. So the way that you can do that is you can actually look there, scroll to the bottom of our webpage, ironcity.org, and there's a connection card. Actually, there's probably even a link there uh, if you're watching on Facebook in the comments section. And that brings me to the fa- last thing I want to talk to you before we get into the text, is I would love to hear some of your questions that come into your, some of the questions that come into your mind um, as we walk through this text this morning, I, I want to be able to address this. I'm not saying I'll have a great answer. I'm not saying I'll even have the right answer. Um, but I think it would really help us to be able to have that conversation. And your question is likely to help somebody else. So don't be a shy. Don't be, don't be bashful. And we may not be able to get to all of them. We're going to do our, do our very best this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter 9. So this week is the joy week of Advent. This is when Advent really begins to pivot and move us closer and closer to the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to look at Psalm chapter 9. We've been looking at Psalms during the Advent season, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses uh, this morning primarily. So it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out the name forever and ever. The enemy came to an ever end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. I think what we see here in Psalm chapter 9 are three different perspectives of the joyful person. That if you want to have abiding joy, lasting joy, durable joy in your life, that you will share in these perspectives that we see here in the life of David. The first perspective that I think we see is, I will because you have. I will Because you have. Now you'll notice there in verse 1 that what it says is, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. That is a heart that isn't divided. Not divided by affections for someone else or something else. Not divided by affections for, for personal ambitions and personal aspirations. Not a heart that is distracted by the, all of the attractions that we find in the world and all of the allurements that we see out there. But instead, it is a, a wholehearted devotion, a wholehearted attraction, a wholehearted passion. Maybe what we would say this morning is a wholehearted joy in who God is. A wholehearted joy in who God is. And what I want you to notice is that this is an inward-outward joy. You see that? All right, so here's, here's where I see that. So it says, 
I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Where is that? That's inward, right? I can't see the thankfulness of your heart. It says in verse 2, I will be glad and exult in you. I will be joyful and exult in you. My, my heart is filled with gladness. I can't see that. That's inward. That's an inward passion. That's an inward affection. But then listen to what it says as the parallel of each one of those. It says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds in verse 1. That's outward. It's something I'm stating them. I'm, I'm talking about them. The, the second part of verse 2 says, I will sing praise to your name. We've done that this morning, right? I'm singing. I am declaring. And, and it's so good. I can't just declare with words. I can't just use sentences. I have to, I have to use poetry. I have to, to say it and say it beautifully. Write it and write it beautifully. You are the Lord Most High. And so that is an outward expression. I think this is significant. I think this is significant. Because, see, there is another pandemic in our world right now, and that is smiling depression. It's where I look happy and joyful on the exterior, but I feel like I'm dying on the interior. Where, where inwardly I feel like my whole world is unraveling and my whole world is coming apart. But on the outside, on my Facebook account, on my Instagram account, I'm, pro- I'm projecting something that looks like perfection. I'm projecting a family that looks happy, though on, inwardly I am not happy in my marriage and I am not happy in my family. I'm projecting success, though inwardly I feel like a total and constant failure. I think this is significant because what I want you to see here is that Jesus, the nature of the new covenant, is that Jesus did not come so that you would have a grin and bear it type of joy. The nature of the new covenant is is that you would have a joy that is experienced inwardly and expressed outwardly. That you would have a passion, an affection, a joy that, that abides deep within you. And that that deep abiding joy would come out of you in joy. Come out of you in your relationships. That it would begin to, to spill out into all of those other areas of your life. So when we're talking about wholehearted joy this morning, we're not just talking about a smile. We're not just talking about a, a, an appearance of joy. We're talking about something that, that lives within you. We're talking about something that, that Jesus himself has written on the tablet of your heart through the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I think that it would be easy for us as we're sitting here thinking about gratitude. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will sing praise to your name. I think it would be easy for us to think that that is the mere expression of joy. But I think gratitude is more than that. That gratitude is not just the expression of joy, that gratitude serves to increase our joy. And here's what I mean by that. The way that we increase our joy is for us to have the character of God more solidified in our hearts. To have the nature of God more solidified in our hearts. That who God is and what God has done, that those things would, would solidify in our hearts. And what, how does that take place? It takes place with experiencing God and then being thankful toward Him. That the role that gratitude plays in the life of the believer is, in one hand, to express thanks to God, to express praise to God. But in the other sense, it is to increase our joy in God. It is to remind ourselves over and over of what God has done, how God has been faithful, how God has shown up, how God has proven true 
time and again. You'll notice here when I, when I say that one of the perspectives of joy is I will because you have, you'll notice that that actually shows up in the text. It says in verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord. Again, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Verse 2, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name. But where is that coming from? Where is this praise, this gratitude, this thankful, this thankfulness, this gladness? Where is that coming from? He says in verse, uh, verse, verse 4, he says, For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their names forever. That is that the place that this joy is coming from is in the proven name of God. The proven reputation of God. That time and again, God has shown up in David's life and he has supplied the need. He has defended David. He has provided for David. He has protected David. He has again and again shown himself to be true. And so David is declaring the greatness of God. And he's at the same time feeding the passion of his heart as he solidifies in his own spirit who God is. You see, I had this... this, uh, leadership coach a few years ago, and one of the things that he would tell me to do is when I would begin to maybe be overwhelmed by the role that I had or responsibilities that I had or a decision that I was facing, what he would say to do is that you need to practice your gratitudes. Practice your gratitudes. And here's what he meant by that. And I think this is actually found directly in our text. It says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. When, when I think of recounting something, it, it's, it's taking an account of what has happened. That is, it, it's, it's itemizing the goodness of God in your life. It's itemizing step by step all of the ways that you have seen God bless you and protect you and provide for you. That is, it's naming specifically what you're thankful for. Naming specifically how God has, has worked in your life. It's practicing your gratitudes. And, and what I learned and what he was teaching me through that is that by practicing our gratitudes, by, by itemizing the goodness of God in our life, by, by thanking God for our health if you have good health, or our children, or our, our job, or, or name any number of things that we can be thankful for, the way that God supplied us in a season in which things looked impossible. By itemizing all of those things, it functions as a reset in your heart. It functions as a reset in your heart. It begins to to recalibrate what you think and how you process and the way that you look over your day. It changes your your outlook. I was thinking about this last night. I was sitting there with my family. I I think it's taking mental snapshots, you know? taking mental snapshots of the goodness of God. Last night, I'm laid up. I got this busted up ankle propped up and Megan and the girls are over here and they're setting up a, another Christmas tree. We have like 15,000 Christmas trees set up in our house right now, which I'm, I'm thankful for. It actually, it actually does bring me uh, joy during the season, but they're setting it up. There, there's a Christmas movie playing. There's a fire in the fireplace. My dog is laying right there on the rug. My, my, my little man, Josiah, he's in his little bouncer and he's sitting there and he's happy. And I thought, Cody, remember this moment forever. Remember this moment forever because this, this is the kindness of God in your life. You see, the actions of God underline the attributes of God. What God has done underlines for us and solidifies in our hearts who God is. And as the character of God becomes solidified in our hearts, something miraculous happens. Something happens in our lives that happened in David's life. 
that we're able to begin to look to the future and look ahead with an optimism and an anticipation rather than with an anxiety and with a worry. Because our future, we've, we've come to learn, is as certain as God's reputation is. You see, you can take Psalm chapter 9 and you can break it into two pieces. Really, Psalm 9 and 10 belong together. They're, they're an acrostic. And so it's really one giant psalm most commentators believe that, that go together. But you can take Psalm 9 itself and you can break it in, in, in two pieces. You have verses 1 through 12, which are primarily dealing with God's faithfulness in the past, with the goodness of God. And then you have uh, verses 13 through 20, which really are talking about David's present need, that David needs God right now. So, so God has been faithfulness in the past, but I need God right now. And I wonder if some of you kind of are in the same place where you would be able to say with David, yes, God has, was faithful yesterday. And yes, God was faithful five years ago and 10 years ago and, and 20 years ago. But I need God right now. I, I, I am facing insurmountable circumstances right now. Right now feels impossible to me. Well, that's exactly where David was. But listen to what, how David transformed when you see the difference. Okay, so verse 4, remember that's in that first half where David is primarily thinking about the goodness of God. And he's talking about how God has been. He says, for you have maintained my just cause. You, in other words, you have steadied me. You've steadied me. You, you have proven true. Your character has proven reliable. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You, you have displayed your sovereignty. You have displayed your control over all circumstances. Now let's move into the present need and let's, let's hear how he thinks. So he says in verse uh, 13, Be gracious to me, O God. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the, uh, from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises. That in the gates of daughter, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. Do you see what he's doing there? He's anticipating that God, having experienced God's faithfulness yesterday, that he is anticipating in this current trial, anticipating in this current struggle, that I'm going to experience God's faithfulness again. See, that's what the goodness of God does. That's what the sovereignty of God does. That's what the power of God does. That's what God's repu- That's the role that God's reputation through his word, through his testimony, the testimony of his church, through your own experiences, as we experience God, as, as our heart is filled with gratitude and the character of God is solidified in our hearts, what happens over time is worry transforms into anticipation. No longer am I anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow because in light of all of these insurmountable circumstances. Now, instead, I am anticipating how God is going to show up. I am anticipating how God is going to overcome it yet again. I'm anticipating how God is going to show and prove himself so mighty and so strong. And it's a, tra- it's a transformer for our outlook. In fact, if you were to sum up the Advent season with one word, I think you could probably use the word anticipation. The world anticipated the Savior, anticipated the birth of Jesus to the Virgin, anticipated that the one, the suffering servant would come, that the the Lamb of God would come and be slain. It anticipated. And so all of Israel, as they lived in exile, as they battled through their sin, they were yearning for the coming of Christ. And then he came. And where are we today? Today we are still anticipating 
having seen Jesus be born, having known that Jesus has been born, having experienced the grace of Jesus in our lives. Now, the whole creation, Paul says, is yearning for its redemption. It is, it is yearning with futility, awaiting the coming of Christ again, anticipating that Jesus will be faithful a second time as he was faithful the first time, that he will return just as he said he would, like he came the first time, just as he promised that he would. So, the joyful person is able to say, I will be thankful though my circumstances are hard. I will obey you today even though it feels like it will be the end of my life. I will look forward to tomorrow with anticipation when it's more natural for me to have dread. And I will because you have. Because you have shown your goodness. You have established your trustworthiness. And you have never let me down. I will because you have. And if we can have that perspective, we are well on our way to having joy. The second perspective that I think that we see is I will because you are. I will because you are. Here in, David is in a hard season as we just were able to see there in the second half of Psalm 9. And we're able to see as we go on into Psalm chapter 10. And so David is shifting his focus, not just into what God, who, to what God has done, as we saw in those first four or five verses, but also into light of who God is. Notice what he, does, what he says three different times, three different times. So he says in verse 4, you have sat on the throne. Then in verse 7, what does he say? But the Lord sits enthroned forever. And then he says in verse 11, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned to Zion, in Zion. And so there's this thought in, in David's mind, not just of what God has done, but of who God is. And that is that first and foremost, at the, at the, at the very edge of his mind, that, that is his focus to enable him to keep going and keep taking steps and keep walking through, is that God is sovereign. That God is over all of this. That even though he may be in the pit, even though he may be being pursued by his enemies, even though he may see no way out, that God is ruling over every single step. Do you know that if God is actually sovereign, if you believe that, you genuinely and actually can have joy in all circumstances. If you can genuinely believe with your heart, with your whole heart, with all of your mind, that whatever you're facing today, whatever those health challenges are, maybe it's despondency over, you've been isolated from your, I think about my own grandmother right now. My grandmother is an active person. And you know what, For the, since March, she's pretty much just been holed up in her house because she has a compromised immune system, she has weak lungs. And so since March, she has not been able to go on a trip, she's not been able to be around her family, she's not been able to do all of those things. Some of you may be right there. And it's easy to feel despondent and overcome. It's, it's, it, maybe your business is struggling. Maybe you own a restaurant. Maybe, maybe you're, you're in hospitality. And right now, all of that is shut down and you don't know what the future looks like. If you actually believe that God is seated upon the throne of the universe, if you actually believe that God is reigning over all of the, the various circumstances of our lives, all of the various experiences that we have, all of the various trials that we face, that if you believe that God is reigning over all of those things and he is actually working all of those things together for good, for his glory, if you believe that he's working all of those things together so that he can advance his kingdom, well, even in those things, you can have joy. Even in those hardships that you can have joy. Because that you, you can know that your suffering 
your hardship, your loneliness, your sickness is not going to be wasted. No, God is going to turn it on its head and he's going to use it to actually increase your joy. He's going to use it to actually make, make your thoughts of him higher so that you might exalt him more, so that you might sing praises to him more, so that you might be filled with an even greater amount of gratitude. We see this in David's life. Man, D- D- David's life was a roller coaster. David is left out in the field while his brothers are, are doing all the important business. He faces the bear and the lion. Then he has to go. He brings lunch to his brothers, and there's Goliath, and he has to face down the giant on behalf of his people. And there's this there's incredible movement of God there, and he slays the giant. There's this huge moment. He's anointed as king, and then Saul sits after him, and he goes on the run, Right? Then, then he has a, a good, uh, the, the Lord delivers him and the Lord supplies and he, he becomes the king just as the Lord had anointed him, just as the Lord had promised. And then what happens? Absalom, his son. But you know what God did? God made, oh, this just in, we have a question, exciting. God took David's trials and God took David's circumstances And he actually used those trials and those circumstances so that David would be the great, 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 great grandfather of the Savior of the world. So that God would establish a kingdom in Israel, yes, but so that David ultimately would lead, his his life would lead to a greater Israel. We see the same thing in Jesus. That that God God is sovereign over every circumstance so that ultimately he is glorified. Jesus is born. He's born in a a stable, right? His people reject him. He has to go on the run almost immediately because Herod's going to have all of the infants, all of the infants murdered because he's so insecure that this new king has been allegedly born. He thinks, I'm just going to kill him also. He has to go on the run, on the run to Egypt. He comes back, he, he grows up, but he's, he's rejected by his people. He's abandoned by his disciples. He's crucified by the religious establishment of the day. But you know what it says in Acts chapter 2? All of this was according to the definite plan of God. Because you see, though he was crucified on that dark Friday, he was raised from the grave on that Sunday. He's reigning with our Heavenly Father right now, and he's coming back. What was true of David, what is true of Jesus, is true of all of us who are in Christ. The sovereignty of God is working all things together. So the question that we've been asked is, are the gates of death here a metaphor of, are are the gates of death here a metaphor of heaven and hell? The gates of death here. Um, I think what actually this is actually talking about, David is really genuinely fearing hell, or fearing his own death. Um, and so the way that I understand this is not so much metaphorically, though I think there is this, this view of the second coming, and I'm going to talk about that hopefully here in a minute. I think, there is, I think David does have in view more than his present circumstances, but I think primarily what he's focused on is, God, you delivered me from dying yesterday, and you are going to deliver me again today? Great question. I thought that was a, good, a great question. All right, so, so with the sovereignty of God ruling over all of it, let me tell you what that means. That means that when you are asleep, God is reigning. That means that when you're on quarantine, God is reigning. That means that when you're, you're 
uh, on vacation, God is reigning. When you're at work, God is reigning. That, in other here, here's why I say it like that. I think right now, especially at Christmas time, we're prone to it. We feel like we have to hold the universe together. And so we become addicted to hurry in our lives. Everywhere we go, there's a pump of adrenaline. There's this rush. We have to do it all. But what David's life proves, what Jesus' resurrection proves, is that our God is sitting upon the throne, and he does not rest. He does not sleep. He does not wait. He reigns so we can rest. It's not all up to us. You know the truth is, as small as this seems, if I died tomorrow, my kids would still have Christmas. If I died tomorrow, my kids would still have Christmas. He would have, they would have it because I have a wonderful family, I have a wonderful wife, I have a wonderful church family, I have people all around me. But they would have it because God doesn't need me in the story. He can use me. He doesn't need me, though. He is reigning over all of these things. And there are specific ways that he's reigning that I think is in the mind of David. So God is reigning. That's the big picture. But he's reigning for joy. So you'll notice that one of the ways that he reigns is he reigns with justice. He reigns with justice. So if you look at verse 6, notice that verse 6 contrasts with verses 7 and 8. So it says, The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. So, so he's envisioning a day in which all the nations have, been, have done, gone away. That all the nations of earth, you understand, are temporary. They're all temporary. Whether you're talking about Egypt in Exodus, or you're talking about Babylon in Daniel, or you're talking about Rome in the Gospels, or you're talking about America today. All of the nations are temporary, regardless of how mighty they are, regardless of how wealthy they are, regardless of what their military is, regardless of any of those things. All of the nations are temporary. But listen to what it says. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. The judge, he judges the peoples with uprightness. See, God's kingdom is going to endure forever. Jesus said, I have come to, to, I have come to establish, to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And it is a kingdom that will, that will last forever. It is not like Egypt. It is not like Babylon. It is not like Rome. And it is not like America. It is not fleeting. It is not here today and gone tomorrow. It will last forever forever. And the experience of justice will depend upon how you respond to the forever offer of the kingdom. How you will respond to what God has said about the nature of his reign forever. So, see, the justice of God will either prove you a fool for living for all the temporary kingdoms, or the justice of God will vindicate you for living for his kingdom in light of all of these temporary kingdoms. Notice what he says. So he says, the enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. You understand, this had not happened yet in the time of David. David never has a time in all of his ministry in which all of his enemies, or all of his, in all of his reign, where there is no memory of his enemies. He is always battling. He is always fighting. In fact, that's why he can't build the temple, right? Because David has been a man of war. So what is this envisioning? This is envisioning a future kingdom. This is envisioning a future king. This is envisioning a future reign. One day this is going to be the case. That is, this is envisioning 
the return of Jesus. This is envisioning a day that, that, that David could only hope for, that David could only long for, that David could only pray for, but that David realized would never be fulfilled in himself, but would be fulfilled through, the, through his lineage, through one of his sons, and who ultimately would be Jesus. Here, here's the significance of that. Jesus is the dividing edge of God's justice. He is the dividing edge of God's justice. That is, he is a blade that is cutting through all of history. And what you do with Jesus, you will end up on one side of the blade or the other. There is no middle ground. There is never middle ground with a blade. And so as Jesus is slicing through all of history, you have to decide, what are you going to do with him? Because you see, all of all, all of his people, all of, of Israel, all of Rome stood against Jesus. And what happened? Jesus was raised. Jesus was enthroned. Rome fell. You see, those who stand with God right now, those who live for God right now, they may not have all the things that America has to offer. They may not drive the car, have the address. They may not reach all their aspirations in the here and now. They may, may have to live with severe limitations. They may do without things. They may, they may face incredible hardships. They may be persecuted. They may, they may be abandoned. But they will not be abandoned by the king. Because you see, he is just. And if you live for the here and now, if you live as though God's kingdom doesn't last forever, then God's justice one day is going to fall heavily upon you. But if you live as though Jesus, those who are with Jesus will be vindicated, those who are with Jesus will, if you live that way, then God's justice for you will be wonderful. It will be rewarding. It will be a mansion. Because you see, God doesn't just rule with justice. God rules with mercy. The sovereign king rules with mercy. Listen to what it says in verse 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. Man, this, this is the word that we need today. This is the hope for your joy today. The Lord is a stronghold. He is, he is a refuge in times of trouble. David was always on the run. We've, we've talked about that, right? David's always on the run. He's always got people chasing him. He's always got people after him. He's always got somebody wanting to kill him, somebody wanting to overthrow him, somebody wanting to keep him from from becoming the king. He's always facing enemies. He's always on the run. He's always got his his tongue wagging, and he's, he's exhausted and just tired of running away, right? But you know what David would do? This is where the imagery comes from. David would find these high points in the caves, these high points up in the mountains of Israel, up in the hill country, And he could ascend up into the hill country and he could find strongholds there, places, in other words, where he could be, he could have a fight, he could rest, he could take it easy, even though he was being pursued because he couldn't be found. He couldn't be seen. He was protected there. That is, in the midst of being pursued by his enemies, David was able to rest. The other day I was sitting on my back porch and I decided I was just going to sit there until um, the Lord used something around me to, to speak about him, himself. And there was this, I have this red oak tree in my backyard. It's a massive dead oak, red oak tree, and it's dead as a hammer. I mean, there's no leaves. I keep thinking all these windstorms are going to take it out, but they never do. And I was watching this red oak tree, and while I was watching it, 
a squirrel started building its nest in this red oak tree. Now, there's not a leaf, there's not a limb, there's nothing on this tree. There's just a fork. That's all that's there. And I sat there, and I watched as the squirrel brought, brought straw and brought, brought branches and, did all, and just worked all day long building this nest. And I thought, why would you build a nest in a dead tree? You know it's not going to last. You, 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 you know the dead tree is going to break apart. You know that it's going to fall. You know that it's going to crash. You know that it's going to destroy your home. Why would you build your nest in a dead tree? But you know, that's exactly what we do. We try to take our refuge in our salary. We try to take our refuge in our business. We try to take our refuge in our children. We try to take our refuge in our marriages. We try to take our refuge in our financial security. We try to take our refuge by eating well and exercising a lot. We try to take our refuge, in other words, in the dead trees of this world, in things that aren't going to last, in things that can't endure, in things that can't, can't uphold your life. That, that, that we seek refuge in all of the wrong places. And what happens, what happens as we build our refuge in this world is eventually, eventually the winds of this world topple the dead tree that our nest is built in and our whole house, our whole family, our whole lives come crashing apart. But God is a stronghold. God is a stronghold for those that will come to him. For those that, will, those that will pursue him, for those that will trust him, for those that will, will bank all of their hope on who he is and on what he has done, for all of those that will, will trust in his irrefutable character, in his sovereignty, in his justice, and in his mercy. God is a stronghold that even though you're running, and even though you're being pursued by your enemies, and even though it feels like your life is coming apart, and even though it feels like you can't buy a break, and even though it feels like nothing good is going to happen in your life, that God can allow you to rest in the midst of that pursuit. That God can allow you to rest because of who He is and who you understand Him to be. So that you're able to say, I will not worry about tomorrow. I will not try to vindicate my own name. I will not sell out for the cheap joy of what I can achieve or build or do. I will hide myself in God. I will take refuge in his goodness and not mine. I will because you are. You are good and I am tired. I will submit to your reign for my joy because you are right now bringing all things together for my good. So that's the second perspective of, of joy. I will because you are. Because you are sovereign, because you are just, because you are merciful. That brings us to our final uh, perspective of joy this morning. I will because you will. I will because you will. Read verse 10 with me. I think I want to see this on, on two different levels here. Verse 10 says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. All right, so, so he's got in his mind those who have, who have sought the Lord, who have sought the Lord's mercy, who have taken refuge in the Lord, who have found the Lord to be a stronghold for them. And he says, and those who know your name, those who know your character, those who know your reputation, those who know who you are, they put their trust in you. And you have not forsaken them. They put their trust in you. Here, here's what I want you to see, is that joy is in, intended to multiply. 
joy is intended to multiply. Joy is intended to increase, in other words. First of all, it's intended to multiply in you. It's intended to multiply in you. All right, so how is it that you can have joy regardless of what you're facing? By trusting God. In fact, you could say that the more that you trust God, the more joy is available to you, right? The more trust and confidence that you have in God, the higher degree of trial you can face, the higher degree of difficulty you can know, and still, in light of that trial, in light of that difficulty, have joy. Why? Because I trust that God is going to get through me. So how do we increase our joy? We increase our joy by increasing our trust in God, by increasing our faith in God, by increasing our confidence in God. That if, my tr- if, if the more trust I have in God, the more joy I can have in me, then the goal has to become to increase my trust in God. Well, how do I increase my trust in God? I think this is what he's telling us. Those who know your name. The, the way that you increase your trust in God is to know his name better than you know it right now. It's to learn more about the nature of his character. It's to, to set your life. See, all Christians, when we begin to, to, to follow Jesus, as we follow after Jesus, our goal is to live a whole life of discovery of the goodness of God, in discovery of the glory of God, in discovery of the power of God, in discovery of who God is and what God has done. And so when he's talking about there, the, those who know your name, name encompasses everything about God, all of his reputation, all of his attributes, all the things that he's done, all the things that he's promised, all the ways that he's fulfilled, his word, all of the, the ways that he's, he's helped you through, all the different journeys of life. Name encompasses all of those things. And so it's the better that you know his name, the better that you understand his attributes, the better that you understand his character, the better that you give witness and show gratitude for his displays in the past, the more hope, the more confidence, the more trust you have in the future. And the more trust that you have in the future, the greater your joy is right now. You see, that's what God is doing in each of our lives. God is taking us on a journey. He's taking us on a journey so that we can discover him and so that we can live every day in fresh discovery of him. And we discover God, brothers and sisters, very often more through hardship than we do through times of ease and times of convenience. And so God, God, God allows trials to come in our life and he allows hardships to come in our life. And he allows tests to come into our life and he allows those things to come into our life not because those things are intended to, cre- to crush and cancel out our joy but so that those things can increase and draw out of us an increased confidence and an increased trust in God that we would take refuge in him fresh and taking refuge in him fresh have our joy actually increased in him. So your joy is intended to multiply in you, and then it's intended to multiply through you. So as God fills you up with confidence in him, as God populates your life with stories of his faithfulness, as God does that over time, do you know what you're supposed to do? Tell others about it. Tell others about it to sing praises. He says in verse 11, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Now, peoples, you'll notice that that is, that is uh, plural there, right? That it's not people, it's peoples. Now, that's not some kind of weird, you know, bad grammatical structure there. 
it's talking about nations, various nations, that the responsibility of Israel is to go to all of the other nations, all of the other peoples, all of the, the other kingdoms of the earth, and they are to tell them about their king, sing praises about their king, and tell how great he is to tell about their joy so that those nations, so that those kingdoms might also have joy. It's really a stark picture that you have in Psalm 9, just in this first 12 verses. In verse 5, what, what do you have? It says, you have rebuked the nations, 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 peoples, right? We're talking, that, that, that's one-to-one equivalency there. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. That sounds like bad news, doesn't it? That's all of those people that don't have the good news of Jesus. That's all of the people that have heard the good news of Jesus and rejected it. That, those, those are all the people that have heard the people of God give praise to the name of God, and yet they continue to live for the things of this world, for the gods that they could hold in their hands, for the gods that they could buy, for the gods that they could make themselves. Sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? And so for those people, for those who, who live for those gods, for those who have never heard of this God, they, this is only bad news. The justice of God is going to fall on them like a hammer. But those same nations, there's good news. There's good news. Verse 11, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. The good news is this, is that according to the sovereignty of God, According to the plan of God, he is going to so stir up the passion of his people. He's going to so stir up the joy of his people. He's going to so stir up the affections of his people that they will go everywhere and be a blessing to all nations and tell all peoples how good and glorious and sovereign their God is. So so the goal for the Christian life is to increase your joy in God as far as you can, as deep as you can, as good as you can, and then to allow that joy to spill out so that you are then able to go and to tell all peoples, so that you have a desire to go and to tell all peoples. In fact, this is the Christmas story from the beginning. The Christmas story has always been a story about missions. Listen to what it says. Luke chapter 2. This is when the angel comes to the shepherds. Listen to what it says. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Good news of great joy for all people. For all people. Do you know why we go? We go because God will save. We go because God is sovereign. He is sovereign in justice. He is sovereign in mercy. We go because he has brought us into his own household, his own eternal kingdom. We go because he will build his kingdom. He will save the nations. He will save his church. He will do this great work. So I will go, O Lord. I will go because you will save. Because you will increase the joy of all the nations. Let's pray to the Lord.
Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.